And now for something purposely positive. Welcome to Strive to Thrive, the Purposely Positive Podcast, brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. This is Tony Wexler, your host, and on this podcast, we talk about positive issues to bring positive content into the world. Now, we're back in today's podcast to talk about a new year and a new you. Now, as we've already mentioned during the series, the number one New Year's resolution, people say, is to get back in shape. Now, I love how they say get back in shape, which assumes that they were once in shape to begin with. Seriously, moving forward, you start out with really great intentions and maybe you do the right thing for a couple of weeks. Maybe you're going to the gym or you've got a workout routine at home and suddenly you start to fall slowly back into those old habits Maybe you skip a workout or two, and before February comes and goes, you're back into those old habits. Now, did you know that most gyms out there make a huge amount of money on people who just sign up for the year? They go for a few weeks in January, and then they never come back. Well, we don't want you to be one of those people. So today, our topic is New Year, New Resilience, how to turn your resolution into results. And we have a special guest today who knows a lot about fitness. He's a personal trainer and a certified health and fitness coach. But in addition, he's also a life coach. So not only does he deal with the fitness aspect, but the mindset and motivation that goes into it all as well. So here on the podcast is my friend, Alex. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the podcast today. Tony, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. Well, I am so glad to have you here as we're starting this series and we're teaching people that they can really start the new year and really work toward becoming a new you. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this whole fitness thing and what really uh, excites you about some of the things you're doing now and you'll be doing in the new year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting into fitness was, uh, I could go back probably as far as uh, half a lifetime ago when I was in high school. Um, I was a scrawny little kid uh, and not very athletic. And the gym was the first place I discovered where I could actually kind of be confident in using my body. You know, like I could, I could go and I could pick up a weight. I could pick it up and put it back down easy enough. You know, of course, the first few workouts, I was walking like Frankenstein the next day. I didn't always have everything together that way. But um, that was my first kind of introduction into really being able to do something physical that I could be proud of. And it really started my journey with really enjoying health and fitness. I tended to keep it in my life, I would say kind of casually for, uh, for a while after that, off and on. Um, but I really got frustrated after I think maybe eh, just short of 10 years, <laughs> maybe uh, seven or eight years where, you know, I wasn't, I just wasn't getting the results I wanted. Um, hmm. No matter what I tried, no matter what programs I went into, uh, I just found that I could not get any, I couldn't get much bigger, you know, like I could get pretty toned. 
Um, you know, I've, six packs never been a problem for a skinny guy like me before, but the goals I wanted, I couldn't quite reach. And uh, that was really frustrating for me. I, and I, that came to a point where it was like, okay, I really have to figure this out now. I can't just be going to the gym willy-nilly without a plan, not doing things, or even some of the programs that I, that I tried, they never were that good. So that really got me started into figuring this whole thing out on my own. Uh, figuring out my own strategies. And so I went to school with it. <laughs> in undergrad, I was a neuroscience major, which uh, actually ended up being uh, really valuable coming down the line. I was really interested in uh, personal development, positive psychology, and those types of things. <laughs> then into my master's, I went into human kinetics to kind of explore weightlifting specifically in a, in a lot more detail. Uh, and that was a really, really interesting experience. So now having those two kind of pillars, it gave, gave me a very interesting perspective on, uh, on health and fitness. Of course, up to that point, I'd never actually trained a person though before. It, I've, I've only learned everything I learned in books and I've never done anything in the real world. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, so I thought I was, a, you know, I thought I was a pretty hot shot, uh, knowing a whole lot and having a couple of fancy degrees, but uh, I had not helped a single person. So that was my natural next step was I want to get into the arena. I want to see what I'm made of. So that's when my personal training journey began. And that was only three years ago, actually. I've been training for three years now. And uh, they have been a jam act three years. And boy, does doing it teach you completely differently than, uh, than a book or school ever could. But yeah, so I've been personal training in some way, shape, or form ever since. Well, that's great. Now, do you find that a lot of people, when they start a workout routine, they have these unrealistic goals? Going back to some of the things that you said, you got to a point where you didn't feel you could go any further with your fitness. You kind of plateaued, and that was frustrating. Do you think a lot of people find that frustration when they're going back to the gym? I think a lot of people find that uh, frustration when they go back to the gym. Absolutely. I think that uh, there's, there's a fine balance to strike with goals where they should be exciting. They should be, they should feel almost, uh, almost uncomfortable to a point. If it's not challenging you outside of your comfort zone, it may be a little too easy, but at the same time, there is such a thing as creating unrealistic goals as well, where they are too big. Uh, they do require too much, uh, too much effort for where you're yes. at. And it could also be that um, some of those goals, they don't, some people don't realize it, but those goals may look like the tip of an iceberg and they're not seeing what else it's going to take all everything below the surface of the water, like what the foundations are to be able to sustain that type of a goal and those types of things. A lot of people see the tip of the iceberg and they don't realize there's a bunch of and so that's just going to require uh, a little more self-reflection and exploration into those goals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, you get somebody who's just like an average person, average build, maybe you know, a little overweight, goes into the gym and they think, you know, in 90 days, I'm going to walk out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they're like, yeah. no, you know, in fact, they still have a little bit of gut on them and they're, they don't feel like they're maybe a little bit toned, but not... Uh, not getting those results. And then they say, Oh, this isn't working. I'm, I'm out of here. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point where uh, 
if your expectations don't kind of meet up with the goal's reality, uh, how long it would take for that goal to come to fruition in reality, that can create a lot of uh, frustration for sure. Mm-hmm. If you do believe that you're going to become Arnold Schwarzenegger in 90 days, uh, you are going to be disappointed. No one, no one except Arnold could even do that. So uh, in fact, Arnold couldn't do it. But yes, absolutely. Creating realistic goals uh, is one of the key things for sure. Um, we didn't get to this state, you know, like being overweight or being uh, highly sedentary, even, uh, you know, the aches and pains we have, we didn't get to this point in 90 days. So I think it would be unrealistic to ask of ourselves to undo all of it in 90 days. And you're the kind of person who will sit down with them and have them develop a plan that will match up with their goals so that they can reach those goals. Absolutely. It's all about your goals, not mine, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, your your goals have to be, uh, I mean, they have to be meaningful for you, right? If, uh, you know, I could walk in and say, okay, like, here's how, let, let's make sure that by the end of the program, you can lift 200, you can bench press 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. If you don't care about benching 200 pounds, then how motivated are you going to be to do it, right? right. It might be good for you. It might, you might get really strong by uh, create, by, by following a program that is centered around that. But if you're not motivated, it really doesn't matter. I think it's a lot of it has to do with finding out what the motivation truly is. And you have to dig a little deeper. And that's where some of that psychology comes into play and the life coaching skills. Because let's say, for example, you have a young lady who wants to get back to the gym, start working out and lose a little bit of weight. But the primary reason that she wants to lose that weight is because she wants to fit into a dress that she used to fit into maybe when she was back in high school and hasn't been able to do that. Maybe she, maybe it's a married woman and maybe she wants to look good for her husband. Maybe there's an event, maybe there's a 10 year high school reunion and it's really important that she can fit into one of those dresses she fit into in high school. So by saying, okay, you're going to lose 20 pounds and focusing on 20 pounds, you're not going to motivate her as much as you would maybe having a picture of her in that dress and having her put it on her mirror so that she sees that every day. And then when she goes into workout so that she sees that picture and she knows this is why she's doing it. You're 100% right there, Tony. Absolutely. A lot of people will uh, come into, uh, come into, you know, either the gym or we'll have a consultation session uh, online or whatever it happens to be. And, uh, you know, it kind of starts there. You know, we kind of ask, like, what do you want to achieve? What are your goals? And it may first come up as, yeah, I want to lose 20 pounds. We know right off the bat that that is just purely surface level, right? Uh, so we tend to use a pretty, a, a pretty uh, foundational framework called five whys to try to figure out uh, a little bit deeper to get to the real motivation. Because you could imagine that when things start to get tough in you know, the four-week mark, the eight-week mark, 12-week mark, the motivation of, well, think about that 20 pounds that you're on your way to losing can sometimes be not so motivating. So we use the five whys. And so that would just simply be asking why, like a child, after every sentence they ask, you say, why? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to lose 20 pounds? And then you go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And it could be, yeah, well, you know, I want to kind of look, I, I've got this dress that I want to wear uh, and I just don't fit in it right now. It's like, okay, well, why do you want to, why do you want to fit in that dress? It's like, oh, well, I've got a, you know, I've got this high school reunion that's coming up in, uh, that's coming up in eight weeks and I really want to look good for that like oh that's interesting why do you want to look good for your high school reunion 
And then they're like, oh, because I want to make, I, I want people to have the impression that, you know, that I've really got my life together and uh, I want to kind of exude, I, I want to exude some confidence because I really don't feel like, uh, I, I'd almost feel embarrassed if I went to that high school reunion looking the way I do right now. I really want to walk in there and feel confident about it. And then there you go. We've gone to a third or fourth level and it's like, okay, so you, so at the end of this, you really want to feel confident around other people to say like, look at how I've been able to take care of myself. And then that, at that point, we can keep bringing her back to that, working for him, back to that um, exactly. when things get difficult. But yeah, you find their true motivation. That way. Yeah, and when you find their motivation, it really helps them to have that stick to of this whole situation. So why do you think most people, as in my example, will start out the new year and say, yes, I'm going to get into a fitness routine and they run out of steam or they give it up? What do you think the key reason is for people doing that? Yeah, the key reason, I think that people tend to fizzle out by February or just shortly into February is mainly because they try to do too much at once. People tend to go from, uh, they tend to go zero to a hundred. They tend to go all or nothing. They did a whole bunch of probably nothing through the holidays for a little while. And- uh, Oh no, they didn't just do nothing. They ate the Christmas cookies that were brought into the office every day. They had the big holiday meals and like maybe not this year with the COVID thing, but they went to the holiday parties and overindulged and the eggnog and the fruitcake. (laughs) So that's what they did. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So you can say they overindulged a little bit. Yes. <laughs> We're, that's, a, that's definitely a fair one. Um, and then, yeah, you come into a new year and it's, a, you know, full of possibility. Uh, people can get just really excited with the aspirations of like what I could accomplish in a year. And one of those things tends to be helped for a lot of people. With that excitement, the ideas that they have are just pouring out of them. They're like, I'm going to start uh, running every day again. I'm going to pick that up again. Uh, I'm going to start taking cold showers because I heard that was a good one. Um, maybe I'm gonna maybe I'm gonna add a yoga practice in there too. Oh yeah, I should definitely uh, start making those green smoothies as well. Oh, that reminds me, I should probably uh, drink more water as well. Oh, how's my sleep doing? It's and so they they tend to try to put all of it together at once. They they may even put a plan together and they're like, okay, we're gonna do this thing. And then they go gung ho in that first week being like, yeah, I went for, I went for three runs because I was sore as hell the first time. But, you know, after that, I started to be able to pick it up again. You know, I got a couple of yoga sessions in. I've been peeing every 20 minutes because of how much water I've been drinking and, uh, and all the rest. And then uh, they find by week two, things get pretty hard. The motivation that they were feeling, that excitement that they had before to get started on all this, it drops. And that's in a, uh, in a phase of habit formation that we call habit gravity. Yes. Uh, so once they're in that stage of habit gravity, it becomes very, very difficult to stick with a habit, with one habit, let alone three, four, five, six of them that you want to all put together at the beginning of a uh, New Year's fitness resolution like a lot of people do. So naturally, once they're in that pit, once they realize that things are starting to get challenging, maybe their expectations were off as we talked before, and they're not instantly seeing some results two weeks later, it can get very demotivating and most people end up quitting within the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I could see that, especially when you have all those things that you're trying to do. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, I can't do all this. What do you think is realistic 
I mean, you just mentioned a whole bunch of things. You mentioned like the green smoothie. You mentioned getting enough sleep, drinking the water, doing the cardio, like maybe running. Uh, maybe there's yeah. lifting weights. Then, of course, you want to add nutrition and eating right. So you got like six different habits that right there alone that you'd have to start. What do you think is realistic as far as a number of habits in the beginning to start? Uh, people are probably going to be surprised by this, but... Honestly, my recommendation is one habit at a time, maybe every two weeks, maybe every two weeks. And that's with, at least with my clients, that's how I like to do things is we'll introduce a new habit, but we only introduce one. And it, until I see uh, two weeks of fairly good, we'll say adherence to it. So if they can stick to that at least 80% of the time for two weeks, then in my eyes, that tells me that they're uh, able to handle that, um, especially after the two weeks. That's the key mark because of that habit gravity. If they can get out of that two weeks, then they start to kind of take back off with it. That gravity starts to subside a little bit and they start to gain some velocity out of that. The habit is starting to be formed, so they don't have to put so much, quite as much direct energy into it after that two weeks. So after that two weeks, if they've still been able to stick to it about 80% of the time, and it looks like they're on that new trajectory upwards in terms of keeping that first habit, then we can introduce a second one. And we repeat the process. We don't give them anything else until they show two weeks of 80% compliance with that one. Meanwhile, that second half, that first habit that we, uh, that we established, it can't be cast to the wayside, right? So now we have two kinds of things to check into. So very, very gradually, we add new behaviors and new habits to a person's life because uh, they're going to have some, uh, some figuring out to do about mm -hmm. how to inject it into their life, how to make it fit with their unique uh, circumstances. People with shift work may not be able to do the same, uh, the same rituals and routines every day. Everybody's, maybe you have a busy family. It could be all kinds of things. So we need to be able to figure out how to make sure that you can keep this habit um, active in your life, given your unique circumstances. And so there's a lot of conversation that we have around that as the practice is happening. But yeah, long, long answer to, uh, to the question. So uh, one habit, maybe every two weeks is really all I, all I can see anybody handling, including myself. Mm -hmm. I, and I totally agree. I mean, one habit builds on the other. So I'd like how, you know, you express that. And the other thing that people have to remember is it's very easy to give up when you start to have stumbles. In other words, let's say you're doing really well for two weeks on something and then you start the new habit and then maybe one of the other habits slip a little bit and then you get frustrated. But I think it's important to tell people, and this works not just in fitness, but in every area of their life. You know, you make a couple of mistakes, even in dieting. Okay, you go to an office party or you go somewhere and maybe somebody brings donuts in the work and you're trying to stay away from the donuts, but you know, you break down and you have one. Okay, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. You'll do better the next day. But what happens is when they make that mistake, they go, oh, I can't do this. And then I think that's where having somebody to talk to and a trainer and a coach, someone who has a, that accountability factor, who can give them accountability, but also give them the right encouragement. Oh, 100%, 100%. What I heard when you said that is uh, kind of framing the all or nothing mentality. 
when people find that they're not either 100% compliant, like they miss one workout or they do have one donut or they only got to 1.7 liters of water and not two liters, <laughs> things like that. Um, they tend to get very discouraged and say, oh, I guess I'm not good enough to do this. I'll just quit. Definitely uh, mindset uh, will definitely come into the picture at this point. A lot of people tend to fizzle out in January, again, not just because they do too much at once, but also because they have an all or nothing mentality. Doing too much at once is the all and then once they start failing at that or, you know, missing some of their targets and things like that, the way they see that as a, usually as a failure in their mind, then they kind of go into the nothing again. It's like, I guess I'm just going to quit. I like to try to see things on a spectrum, on a continuum of what's a little bit better, what's a little bit more, or what's a little bit, uh, what's a little bit less in some cases as well. Say the donuts, for example, I never tell a client that they can't have a donut. My mm-hmm. client can have donuts. They absolutely can, but they can't have them, you know, necessarily every day. We create rules around it. You know, it's a, but there's no such thing as complete deprivation, uh, at least in the way I like to look at things. I like to try to keep things flexible because if it's not, then as you said, you're bound to run into situations where uh, you're going to be challenged an office work party. Uh, you're going to other families, uh, events and, you know, dangerous food everywhere. You have to be able to roll with those punches and know that it's going to be okay. So flexibility is a good one. Excellent. Another mindset that I try to have clients adopt as well is to kind of be their own scientist. I like to try to use what's called uh, the scientific method to try to look at uh, everything we do as uh, objective data rather than we did a good thing, we did a bad thing. We ate a good food, we ate a bad food. I try to wipe the slate of all of those, um, you know, positive valences, negative valences. There's no such thing as good and bad. There's just information. So that way, every week when we come back to sit down and say, okay, how did things go this week? Instead of looking at it as a session of, oh my gosh, I failed everywhere, for example, it could be, okay, well, I realized that this didn't work or I found myself in this situation, which made it challenging for me to stick to my uh, habits and behaviors. And it's all a learning experience, essentially. So everything, everything that we do is just more data to feed our system, our model for how do we make health work for us. There's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. I like that. Only feedback, no failure, because that's what happens. You sometimes you overdo it and you're really sore the next day. Well, that's another thing that I wanted to kind of delve into now that I mentioned being sore, but a lot of people get frustrated when they do a workout and they find out, you know, Hey, this is actually painful the next day. You know, my legs hurt from uh, doing this or my arms are killing me or my back. Is there a balance there? Absolutely. There's balance there. Just like a, just like doing too much at once can apply to doing too many different habits, too many different things in our routine for health, it can even apply down to the individual workout level as well, where you can do too much at once in your first session uh, and kind of overdo it for the, just the level of fitness and conditioning that you might have at that time. So for somebody who is either a brand new beginner and has never lifted a weight before, or even somebody who has kind of been out of the game for six months, I would still recommend, no matter how seasoned they may have been in the past, uh, that they start very small. 
as a general rule, you should walk away from your first workout, even maybe your first three workouts, feeling like you could have did more, feeling like it was probably too easy because chances are your body, uh, you'll probably still feel it the next day a little bit anyways, even though in the moment in the gym, you're like, yeah, I probably could have pushed a little more. I probably could have went a little heavier. I could have did another set. You absolutely don't have to. Your body will acclimate from just that little bit of a stimulus because it's brand new. And as long as you give yourself the adequate recovery for the next one, maybe you can add a little bit more. Maybe you can add a little bit. That first week, uh, to be honest, your body has no idea what's about to happen to it. So you got to be nice to it. Even though your brain knows, your body needs to follow after that. So definitely start small with the workouts as well. You can maybe add a little bit week after week, but even in that first week, it should feel like it was almost too easy for you. Mm-hmm. Now, I know everybody's bodies are different. And as someone who's a trainer and a health coach, when you're working with someone, you're designing that workout plan, that fitness plan, or that overall health plan based upon that person, where they are in their life. And it's going to be different for everybody, but everybody is always looking for a, a magic button that they can push, a magic plan that they can follow. They'll go on the internet and they'll look for something. Is there anything, and again, I hate to generalize, but is there any one or two things that someone can do if they really want to make a change in their life and get their, uh, and make their fitness a priority? To try to not be too general, because I mean, my, my favorite answer for most of these is it depends. But because as you said, it does depend on, uh, you know, everybody's body is different. Everybody's level of conditioning is different. Everybody, uh, where they are in their journey physically is different. Everybody's circumstances uh, physically are different as well. Some people may have previous injuries. Some people may have some, uh, um, uh, some, some comorbidity, some diseases that pre- prevent them from doing certain types of activity. So uh, keeping all of that in mind, of course, as general as the statement might be, the easiest thing that anybody could do uh, to start integrating fitness into their life would be simply to start walking more. I think walking is the, uh, you know, the, the long lost secret to uh, really keeping our health and fitness in the forefront of our lives. The reason I say walking is because uh, for one, it's low impact. Uh, so most people uh, can do that pending that they don't have, you know, uh, some, some significant disabilities that prevent them from doing it otherwise. Two, it's, uh, it, it's great for um, the lymphatic system, uh, which is the body's way of being able to mobilize the immune response. And uh, so that is especially important for keeping us healthy, moving, or, moving all of that fluid around uh, really helps us stay healthy in a lot of indirect ways. Uh, so beyond just, uh, you know, conditioning for cardiovascular health and for, uh, you know, our lower body musculature, it also helps with our immune response indirectly as well, which is really nice. A third one is I find that most people who have a regular walking routine uh, tend to use it as a way to um, get away from the busyness of everyday life. It's almost like a meditation that's moving for them. So not only are we working on our physical health, but we're usually working on our uh, mental, emotional, or spiritual health as well while we do it. And a bonus is if you can walk in nature to get the added benefits of being around uh, being around that, including sunlight, fresh air, uh, and all the rest, 
Um, there are quite a body of evidence and literature saying that being out in, in nature does a lot of great things for us health-wise. So yeah, I think, uh, I think walking would be the number one thing I could say as general as I could. Okay. What about a time frame? Uh, is a 10-minute workout, if that's all they can do, all right? Or do they have to try to strive to be working out 30 minutes an hour? Is there any specific uh, number that you would encourage people to try to work toward? Yeah, I would say that uh, to start, whatever you can do, minimum is perfect. And you meet yourself where you're at. Don't try to force things in that don't currently fit into your schedule. You will naturally be able to start integrating a little bit more and a little bit more as you get better at it, for sure. That's first. Um, but yeah, meet yourself where you're at. If you haven't been uh, quite active in the last little while, you might find that after 10 minutes of walking that you might be gassed. That's totally okay. That is where you're at right now and 10 minutes is perfect. And then slowly over time, just kind of make note of that and be like, okay, how do I go, how, how do I become a little bit better this week? Maybe you go for 15 minutes. Maybe the week after your walks extend to 20 minutes. Maybe you start increasing your pace. Uh, as well, things like that. So definitely start wherever you are physically able to be and don't necessarily try to strive for, you know, three one-hour workouts or five one-hour workouts. You can definitely work your way up to that. Is there such thing as too much exercise? Yes, there is, but I have a feeling that most people probably won't reach that spot. Most people won't. Um, you'd have to be working out, you know, like, two workouts a day, one in the morning, one in the evening for, you know, two hours. And then in addition to cardio and, you know, weightlifting, all kinds of stuff and really hard to get to that point. Um, but honestly, as an optimal, I, I tend to not have people work out more than I'd say three to five days a week for 30 to 60 minutes per workout. And then, you know, extra walking at their, at their leisure. I'm going to change course a little bit. Tell me about when you were working with a client and a specific client, maybe who touched you in a very real way. And what about that situation changed the way you view working with people and coaching them? Yeah. I, I had somebody who came to mind the second that you, the second that you said it, and I'm fortunate enough to, uh, to be working with him to this day. Uh, I met him literally on my, on my first day of personal training three years ago, uh, three years ago in November. And uh, yeah, I'm working with him to this day. He's a, he's an amazing, amazing person. And I got to say, as a coach, the gift of coaching that I've seen is I actually learn a bunch from my clients as well. They don't just learn from me. I actually learn a bunch from them. From him, I've actually put together a lot of my philosophies and the way I find I like to do things and how I kind of go about health and fitness and in, in its entirety uh, a lot of that has been clarified through uh, coaching with this uh, with this person we'll call him Sam so Sam was uh, Sam uh, before I met him he was working out at one of the local gyms he had already come a pretty good way along his fitness journey uh I guess uh, he had been on his journey for three years already and he had been uh, that would have put him at 60 years old 60 years old that's when he started his weightlifting journey okay 60 years old he used to be a marathon runner a long time ago but never touched a weight in his life uh, he was uh, a little overweight he was walking with a cane 
And by the time I had met him, he had lost a significant amount of that weight. I think he was originally like around 200 pounds and now he's walking around about 160. So he'd lost about 40 pounds. He wasn't using a cane, which is incredible. Uh, so weightlifting alone did this for him, which is incredible. Then uh, once we started working together specifically, and uh, you know, I kind of I kind of brought my psychology um, mindset and habits kind of uh, frame to everything. Things really started to change for him, and he he saw that beyond it just being about the metrics, about it being about the the number on the scale, about how he looked in the mirror. He started to look at this as more than just being in the physical domain of his life, he started to look and see like, oh, I can see how doing these things can extend to um, the emotional areas of my life, uh, how I deal with my own uh, emotions and beliefs his, and uh, his relationship, his environment as well. All these other aspects, he was like, I can take this lesson that I learned in the gym and start using it in other areas. Uh, one of my favorites that he, uh, that he helped me discover, honestly, uh, like he helped me uh, discover these things, which is so cool, is uh, it's a concept that I like to use in, um, in mobility work. So mobility is, it's, you could say uh, it's kind of like stretching, uh, but a little different. Um, it, it helps you regain functional range of motion and all kinds of different movement patterns and shapes that you can get into. And uh, one of the concepts that I, that I teach around mobility is the idea of informed freestyling or noodling around. And all that means is you can take a position, uh, I'm sure everybody can think of uh, like a, you know, a classic hamstring stretch where you're just bending over and touching your toes. You may think that there's a perfect way to do that. There's perfect form to be able to do that. And you should feel it exactly here in this area, in this muscle. And uh, a lot of people are kind of, uh, kind of set up to be like, yeah, what is the perfect form? My concept is, there is no perfect form for it, but you need to find the specific areas where you're restricted, where you're tight, and you have to explore it a little bit. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different for everybody because everybody lives a slightly different life. And so I might be more restricted in the outer areas of my hamstrings. You might be more restricted in the inner, in more inner portions of your hamstrings or higher or lower. And this is just for the one example, but uh, you kind of catch where I'm going with that. Uh, and so the, the key here is flexibility and your flexibility, you know? Uh, so being able to know that you have to kind of look around and find the areas of challenge, the areas of restriction, and then lean into those a little bit more, breathe into them a little bit. Tell your brain that it's cool to be here by regulating your nervous system through breath and kind of chilling in there instead of seizing up and being like, freaking out and being like, oh man, that feels tight. Or man, that's some Bernie, that's some really Bernie hot nervy burn pain, uh, stuff like that. And so he was like, oh man, I can apply this to the emotional. It's like, where can I noodle around in my emotions and find where's the, where's the point where I'm a little bit uncomfortable with maybe feeling like this or feeling like that. Um, and then kind of lean into that a little bit, explore it a little bit, breathe into it being like, this is all gonna be okay. And uh, he really kind of took some of these core principles of physical aspects and really put them out to other areas. And uh, yeah, I can thank him uh, for showing that to me in a way. Uh, and now I can give that to all of my clients. I just love that story. I mean, and it so much relates to what we do as coaches because we learn so much more 
from the things that are, when our clients learn something, we can learn so much more from that. Let me transition into this next question, which is if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe get some advice, maybe even work with you, uh, how would they do that? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm on I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my handle on Instagram is at WAGAC, so W-A-U-G-H-A-C. Uh, my, you can find me on Facebook, Alex Waugh. Uh, it would be facebook.com slash WAGAC as well. Yeah, and uh, that's those are the two uh, biggest places you can find me. Just shoot me a DM. Uh, I've got an email address as well. It's hello at liveharmonized.com. So hello at L-I-V-E-H-A-R-M-O-N-I-Z-E-D.com. Great. Well, I will also post your links in Facebook in the Strive to Thrive page on Facebook in the group page so that if people want to reach out that way, they can do that. The last question I'm going to ask you today is a question that I like to leave people with, and that is what does being purposely positive mean to you? Wow. Uh, purposely positive to me means resilience. It, it means that you purposely put positivity into your life, which automatically helps to reduce negativity in your life as well. And choosing to go that route is uh, going back to neuroscience is going to build those pathways in your brain. Every time you consciously choose to do it, it's like doing a rep in the gym. Every time you make that conscious choice to be purposely positive you've built a rep, you're making that positive muscle a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. And meanwhile, you're making those negative muscles a little bit weaker because they didn't get an opportunity to uh, put in that rep. So yeah, being purposely positive to me means making yourself stronger in your own positivity through resilience. That's a great answer because that's the theme of the program today is new you, new resilience. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for spending time with me today on the show. And again, I hope people do reach out to you. And I hope as we go into this new year that we find a lot of people that want to find that new year, new you, new resilience, and hopefully that will include fitness and health. Thanks a ton, Tony. And you've been listening to Strive to Thrive purposely positive podcast brought to you by tonywcoaching.com where your greatest success is right in front of you now whether that success is in your business in your personal life or even in your fitness life you can benefit by downloading my free ebook strive to thrive just go to the website and hit download free ebook and we'll send that right on to you have a great day and remember a new year means a new you